but I'm going to read my scripture towards the end of my message. We're going to build up to the word of God and let you see uh, what this is all about today. But if you would, would you just lift your hands and pray with me? Father, I pray that you'd help me to get out of your way today. I want your spirit to take complete control over every single person here. Anybody who needs something from you today, God, I pray that your word would answer them. And I pray that your spirit would move over them, that you would wrap them up in your arms and let them feel your presence in the realest way, Father. We glorify you and we honor you and we want you to take every single liberty today over us, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray it. Let it be done, Father. Everybody clap your hands and give God... A shout of praise before we move on here today. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I was wrestling yesterday and then last night in the hotel and then this morning in the hotel, going back and forth in my mind and praying, God, like, Look, some people say, well, preachers automatically know what they're going to preach like, you know, seven days in advance. It, you would be surprised at how often you sit there and you're, you're literally begging God, please, you got to let me know what to speak. And I was looking at four sermons last night and God didn't let me use any of them. And part of it comes from the conversation that we had in your car last night. And I got all emotionally caught up again. And so thanks to the conference for shifting everything for me. But I'm just going to speak to you on this, on this message. It's, it's really, it's not going to impress you from a preaching point of view. I can just promise you that. But I'm just going to tell you a story. And this message today is going to be called, Do You Trust Me? Do You Trust Me? And to the wonderful lady that spoke the word just a moment ago, and God spoke through you at the very end, you said, trust me. And I broke down like a baby on the front pew here. Saying, thank you, God, but couldn't you have told me that last night? <laughs> Look, I've got to show you a picture. I've got, I don't have a picture of my family of us all together because my kids are psychopaths. And so <laughs> no photo session has gone great. But if the media team could throw that first picture, this is my wife on the left, my son Raylan, middle left, River, and then Georgia, our two-year-old little daughter who absolutely has her dad wrapped around her finger. This is my family, and this is the family that's propped me up and that has been such a refuge, fittingly, for me over the years. But I'm going to talk a little bit about my family today. When I was 11 years old, I first felt what would be described by most people as depression. And that seems kind of young, but I, I can tell you vividly, I remember at school feeling this and wanting to just disappear, and I shared a little bit of my testimony last night. I didn't intend to, but kind of cut things off, and what happened was 11 years old, start feeling this, wrestling with that, a lot of anxiety, a lot of these issues, couldn't speak to a stranger to save my life, or usually people that I even knew, to go up and to talk to somebody, my hands would be trembling. I was just shy. People that knew me, I was okay to act crazy and talk to them a little bit, but most of the time, I just remember feeling worried all, all the time. And what kind of sent me to the place that I told you guys about last night was when I was 14 years old, I don't have a picture of my sister up there, but my sister is named Charity. And she married this preacher from Texas, this disgusting, horrible man. Now, he's actually one of the best preachers you've ever heard in your life. But at the time, I didn't like him. And uh, 
my sister marries this wonderful man of God. And you have to know something about my sister before I tell you what happened. My sister is literally an angel living on the earth. I don't know how to describe her. She's only been mad at me one time in my life, and I absolutely deserved it so much more than I could begin to tell you. And at 14 years old, my sister's married, and she and her husband were expecting their first child. And I was 14. My sister wasn't 14. And uh, <laughs> clarification's important. But I was 14 years old, and I get this, my mom gets a phone call at our house on the phone that was on our wall. It wasn't in her purse. I'll tell you how long ago it was. And she takes the phone call, and she says, something's happened. And Charity was in Baton Rouge, and she was there, and her husband was preaching with some people, and they had to take her by ambulance back to Shreveport, Louisiana, and took her to the hospital there. And they told us, look, something's happening. Charity's going to have this baby right now. But the problem was that the baby was only 23 weeks in the womb. And so we rush to the hospital. We go to the NICU, and I look at this little, this little child. He's so tiny. He, he weighed so little that you could actually, if you took, you could take both hands like this and hold him. But he weighed about the same as a 20-ounce Coke can, basically, like a full Coke can. That's how much he weighed, and he's so tiny and so little. But we couldn't see his face because he couldn't breathe on his own. And they had this full face mask that went over him. And we're looking at him, and we're identifying all the characteristics of him that look like this person, the family, and that person, the family. He had the, the Dean toes, which I don't know how to tell you other than it's like hobbit feet. Like, it's just these horrifying things to look at. But we looked, and we, we called everybody at the church into prayer. And so this is, the, again, it's the old days. We had a prayer chain. So there was a lady that would start a phone prayer chain, and everybody would call and say, you need to pray for Charity and Shannon's baby immediately. And so we go day after day to the NICU, and we walk back there, and we look, and we pray, and we have belief. And then on the fifth day, we get this phone call, and they say, you need to get to the hospital now. And by the time that we reached the NICU there, we walked to the back, and the mask was off of little Lincoln Dean Stanley because... He had passed just a few minutes before we got there. And so I'm looking at my nephew, and they said, do you want to hold him? And I said, yeah. So I sit there, and they give me this tiny, tiny child. And I'm only 14, and I'm looking at my wife, or not my wife, my, my uh, sister and brother-in-law, and they're just, they've been crying, so you can see it on their faces, and I look at them, and I look at this child, and I look at these people that I know that God is using greatly. And it's not a cliche. They're unbelievable. My sister, again, an absolute angel. And I've got this child in my arms, and I just crumpled over him and started weeping uncontrollably. And I felt something in my spirit just break and shatter And I was never the same from that day forward. And every bit of depression that I felt then was amplified to the point where now I started blaming God and saying, how could you let, if you exist, how could you let that woman go through this? To lose this child, this girl that has done absolutely nothing wrong. Look, my brother and I, fools, backslid both of us, crazy people. My sister never veered away from God, gave him everything for her entire life, and then this is how you repair. And so I started doubting and saying, I don't necessarily believe, I don't, I wasn't an atheist, but I would tell my friends after, after a little while that I was like, I'm probably an agnostic. I don't know if God actually exists because what kind of a God could let her go through that? 
And so it amplified the depression over the years. What happened was I would kind of isolate myself and I'd go to my room and I would take a knife and I would start tracing it originally across my arm. And just people say, well, you were cutting. I, that's not the way that I was thinking of it because I didn't know what that was. What I was doing was practicing, trying to build up some courage to actually follow through with this. Is this, is this too heavy? I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm trying to follow through with it eventually and work my way up and I had a plan for everything. I knew exactly what I was going to write in my letter to my family and the disappointment that I was going to talk about with the church and with all these things that bothered me so much and nobody, nobody knew that I was going through this. Completely and totally alone in it. Nobody knew. I hid it very well and I would go to the church and they made me be in the youth choir and I would stand there with this huge robe on and I would sing the songs that I did not believe and then I would go home, and I'd go through the process all over again. At one point, and I'll not share the entire story. I shared a little bit of it last night. At one point, I'm in a church service, and almost against my will. I know they say that God is a perfect gentleman, and so he won't force his way in. He, he came very close one night. And he sent a missionary and a missionary's wife to pray over me. And in a moment, I felt all the things that shattered inside of me when I was hovering over my deceased nephew start to be put back together. And it started a process where God started moving on me and I would feel better. And then he, I would wake up again and that old enemy would, would wake up with me. And he would say, look, you're free from depression. I'd tell people this. And then I'd wake up and the depression would be back. I was living for God now, but the depression was back. And I would pray it off of me. And then I'd wake up the next day and it was back. And I said, okay, well, maybe, maybe it's just a time thing. There was a song that we sang all the time that he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. And we had this lady in our church named Lasanne. And when she sang it, she had like a growl to her. And we, were all, we all felt the song, you know. But when you're living that song, sometimes it feels like he's a little past the time that he was supposed to show up. But in the middle of that, I meet this girl at the campground. And young people, just keep this in mind. You want to meet your significant other, you're not going to meet them in some crazy place. It's a good thing to meet them in a church or a campground, somewhere like that. But I meet this girl, and I, I, her name was Sherry Braniff. And actually, I'm talking about Tim a lot today. Tim gave her the nickname. He didn't say Braniff. He said Branoff. And so every guy in our dorm called her Branoff. And every once in a while, I still call her Branoff. She hates it. And uh, I meet this girl, and the first night that I met her and we're talking, she said, look, do you have a call of God on your life? I said, yeah. And she said, good, because if you didn't, there was no need for us to even go on a date because I've got a call on my life, and so I, I can't risk it on somebody that doesn't have a call. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. And things start falling into place in life. We broke up five times, but that's a long story. But... <laughs> Things eventually <laughs> fell into place, and it turned out okay, and we get married, and God uses, she's my favorite worship leader I've ever heard in my life. Even before I was so biased, I knew of her because of how great she was just worshiping God and singing, and all this is kind of lining up perfectly. I'm the youth pastor at our church now, and despite that, I still wake up feeling the same way. And I still pray, God, you've got to lift this off of me. Please, would you lift this off? And God always would answer the prayer, but then it would sneak back up and meet me once again. And it happens over and over again. And all the while I'm saying, God, I still trust you. 
I still trust you. I believed it from the bottom of my heart. I, I believed that I trusted him. And things just kept falling into place and then falling out of place and then back into place and out of place. And eventually we had our first kid. And our first boy's named Raylan. I got this picture. This was him when he was brand new. Yeah, he was, he was a lot of fun. But after a few months, Raylan started dealing with some stuff. And to kind of give you the brief synopsis, he had, he's had somewhere over three dozen ear infections, scarlet fever three times, I believe. He's had all these other issues. And at a year old, he, he got his first staph infection. It turned out to be something called MRSA or MRSA. And for the next 16 months, he had 13 staph infections. And he lived in constant pain, and he cried all of the time, every time we would change his diaper, he had a lot in the, in the diaper area that it always would, would show up there. And he would scream and scream and scream. It was difficult to get him to go to sleep. And I'm thinking, God, I, I still trust you. I pray healing over our boy. And then I hear him screaming from his room and say, God, I still trust you. I still trust you. And then at two years old, we started noticing some things. We started noticing that he wasn't hitting the same milestones as the rest of the kids in the church. All the other kids, they were running around after church, and they were talking, and they were laughing and playing, and they would sing sometimes during the service, and Raylan wasn't talking. Raylan was just kind of laughing, but he wouldn't look at anybody, and he'd run around, and we're going through all this trying to figure out what's going on, and maybe he's just a little bit delayed, and that's fine. It's not a problem. The other kids start forming sentences, and he's still not talking, and I'm just trying to figure out, God, are you going to show up for my family right now? Because... We both came, my wife and I both came from pastor's homes, and we were both pastor's kids, both the third and last child in, all, in both families, you know, and we're, we're, we believe in God, and we believe in trusting him, and we're saying it, and we're praying, and we're saying, God, we trust in you, and we trust in the power of your name. So I start trying to do what I can, and every single night I had the same game that I would play with Raylan. I would take his hand, and I would put it on my chest, and I would say, Daddy, and then I'd take his hand and put it on his chest and say, Raylan. And he would just kind of laugh and then throw my hand away. And then I'd take his hand and say, Daddy. And then I would take it and put it again to his mouth and say, Raylan. And try to get him to learn his name and learn my name and who we were. And I just, I wanted my son to speak and I wanted him to, to say, Daddy. And I wanted him to say, I love you. And I wanted all these things. But before he said any of that, he was saying other stuff. And he would say the shapes and colors. And then he said, I was driving down the road one day, and I said, look, buddy, red, and I was showing him a yield sign on the road, and instead of saying red, he said equilateral triangle, and I was like, that's not exactly what I was going for, <laughs> but you know, we had these fun moments, but in the back of my mind, I was like, well, is he going to talk, and so we take him to Dallas, and we take him to this place that specializes with kids like Raylan, and after some testing, some really intense testing over a few hours later in the day, they call us in. They said, listen, Raylan is on the autism spectrum, and he has some delays. And some of the testing, he's scoring really high, but there are some parts of the testing where he's on the opposite side. And we just want to let you know, we don't want to set any unrealistic expectations. Your son might never speak. He might never form a sentence in the way that you would think that a kid his age would form a sentence, and he might be delayed to the point we can't give you any promises. And so my wife and I, she's pregnant at this point, I believe eight months pregnant. And so we're, we're, we're thinking of 
what this means. And you start asking questions when you get this news. You start asking questions like, is my son ever going to talk to me? Is he ever going to say, I love you? Is he ever going to feel what we feel for him? Is he ever going to find love in his life? Is he going to be dependent upon us his entire life? And you start, then you wonder, well, what's going to happen when we're gone? If we're gone, who's going to love and take care of my boy? And all these questions are going through our minds and we're saying still, we're preaching. I'm a youth pastor. I'm getting in front of the students and telling them about the miraculous power of God and telling them that he is worth their trust. And all the while, in the back of our minds, we're making ourselves say those words. So Sherry has our second son, River. We have a picture of River for the screen as well. And River was instantly smiling and instantly interactive. And we're still processing the news with Raylan. And at three months, River develops a sickness. It was RSV originally, and that turned into double pneumonia. We just think, well, we got to get this kid to a doctor. We take him to the ER, and the doctor in the ER says, we've got to get this kid to the hospital right now. He said it's progressed pretty, pretty quickly. And they drive him over to the same area that they drove my nephew so many years ago. And the doctor walks in the room, and he says, I just want to be real with you. He said, we're looking at about a 50-50 shot of him making it out of this. And I've got another picture of River during this time. And they've got him underneath this wrapping and they haven't put this mask on him yet. But I'm looking down and all I can see is my nephew so many years ago. And I'm praying, God, I'm saying, I trust you. And my wife at this point, we, 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 we're very real about this because we don't want everybody to think that everything's perfect all the time. My wife is at home a few days before this even. And she told me this. She said, with all the sickness and all the problems and all the things, and we're looking at all of our peers and seeing what the milestones our kids are hitting and all this stuff. And my wife said, I don't know if God is hearing us right now. And this happens. And I take my son. I hold him in my arms. And I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I promise you, I want to trust you. It's tough right now, but I want to trust you. So she said, you need to take Raylan home and Put him to bed because he can't sleep up here. So I take Raylan home and we start going through our routine. And I say, Daddy. Raylan. Daddy. This is Raylan. And he's just kind of grinning at me. Not saying anything back, but just grinning at me. And I said, God, right now, if there's anything that you can give me. I don't have to have every answer right now. I just need to hear my son say those three words to me. Because we try every single night. I love you, buddy. I just need those three words. And he looks up at me. And he spoke exactly three words. But they weren't the words that I asked for. He reached his hand up and he put them on my mouth. And he said, in Jesus' name. And at that point, it's like everything just kind of broke. And all the pain was just starting to begin to fade away. And I got so excited. And the next day I told my wife. And my wife was like, that's great, but... I just, I still, I'm having trouble. I don't even want to go to church right now. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through these motions because I'm having trouble. We go home and I take Raylan to, to the church that next night and Sherry takes River back home. He recovers enough to come back home. And so she's at home and I'm praying over Raylan. And as I'm praying over him on our platform, my dad's holding him in his lap. There were two different people in our church sitting in different spots. And later they both said the same thing. 
They said when you and your father prayed for him, it was as if there was this white bubble that formed around all of you. And the presence of God just seemed to shimmer on the platform. I know it's hard to believe that stuff sometimes, but this happens. We, they saw this taking place and something changed because when we got home, I was about to go through our routine and take him up to his bed. But as we're about to go up, Sherry looks at him with zero expectations, says, I love you, Raylan. And he turned around and said, I love you, Mommy. And he turns around to go back to his room and she chases him down and squeezes him and screams out and shouts. And things started to change from that day forward. We worried. She nearly coded on the hospital bed when she was having River. They had nine nurses rush in that room so quickly that it scared me to death. There were things that happened. She got diagnosed with lupus one day. The doctor calls and said, all the tests have come back. You have lupus. And she said, okay. And I asked her, Sherry, are you all right? And she said, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Let's pray. And so we knelt down on either side of my son's bed, and we're praying. And she gets up, and she, has, she said, it's going to be fine. The reason she said that is because at some point, During the process, we thought that we trusted God, but we didn't. We said that you need to trust in God, but we didn't always know what that meant. She said, it's going to be fine. And she goes to the doctor, and the doctor comes in, and they run some more tests, and he comes back to her, and he says, I have to apologize. I don't know how to explain it because it was conclusive, But you're not showing up as having lupus. I don't know what this is, but we're going to figure something out. And she she just looked and said, I told you, he's got this. See, the whole time we're just telling people, trust in God. Trust in God. Our son's not speaking. Trust in God. He's falling behind his peers. Trust in God. He's having meltdowns, and we're having to go to the public school and drag him out of the classroom with him screaming bloody murder and absolutely losing his mind. Trust in God because at some point he reveals himself to you and says, I told you that I would be there when you most needed me. You can't tell me now that my God doesn't care. I've got another picture to come up. What you see here. Is the night that one of my sons received the Holy Ghost. And his brother, while playing, praying for him, receives the Holy Ghost at the same time. Don't tell me that God does not care and that God will not show up in the moment that you most need him. Things have not been perfect. They've not been perfect any step of the way. I have still fought some of the same battles that I fought when I was young. But the difference is, back when I was young, I had zero tools to fight the depression. Today, God has given me every tool that I need to where not only do I get over it, but I live victorious day after day after day. And if I feel it come on, all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus and begin to let the trust that is built up over the years pay the dividends that were invested. Things haven't been perfect. River at three years old. He gets appendicitis. The doctor doesn't believe us. We make him do a CAT scan. By the time they finally do the scans, his appendix is ruptured and he goes into emergency surgery. If they didn't believe us, it might have turned septic. It might have been too late. We don't know, but we trusted in God through it all. 
All this stuff happens. He loses at six years old. He uses the use of his legs, and he starts screaming, and we're saying, what's going on with our son? And at the same time this is going on, my wife once again nearly codes on the table after having our daughter, Georgia. All this, it's not perfect, but we have a background with God at this point. He's still worthy of the trust. This issue was called rhabdomyolysis. They said, we don't know. His kidneys are starting to fail. We don't know what to tell you. But we said, our God has got this. Things have not been perfect. But we once thought we trusted in him. Now we really have begun to trust in him. After you walk through these storms and after God pulls you through them, you can start to walk with a different level of trust. And it begins to make the Bible make sense. The Bible starts to unveil itself before you. The scriptures that you've heard your entire life, all of a sudden they start to make perfect sense. In Romans 8 and 28 it says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you hear it now, and it starts to make sense in 1 Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Only now does that begin to make sense for us. And see, people still worried, oh, is everything going okay? Is, is everything fine? How's Raylan doing? I'll just show you how Raylan is doing. Uh, Before y'all play this, in just one second. During the very beginning of quarantine, it's okay. I'll just let him show it. Go ahead. Keep, keep it going. There was a day that they told us, we can't promise you that he's ever going to talk. But last summer, he was on the platform with me in a camp in Texas. And he played worship in front of people. And they began, the Holy Ghost began to move and pour down on that house. And he's looking at me like, why are they going crazy like this? Because he was expecting applause. (laughs) And the Holy Ghost fell down. He might never talk. But when you ask yourself the question, do I trust him? There are people here that nobody knows that you still have to ask that question sometimes. Right now, we're, we're living in a very strange time in human history. For my generation, 9-11 was the formative event that happened. For this generation, this pandemic has been a formative event. And they're looking for people who still trust God to show them that they still trust God. And through all of this, you have to ask yourself a question. People are wondering right now. I've I've heard it so many times. I've heard it from people that are new to church and people that have been in church for 50 years. They say, well, what's going to happen to us next? 
I can promise you that there's a God that is still worthy of your trust, that is still worthy of your praise. And I got testimonies on every side of me at my home that says God does not only care, but he has a purpose for every single thing that the enemy takes and means for evil. It works together for God's good. See, everywhere that I go now, I look at people and I talk, to, I talk about this stuff very openly because somebody needs to know. Somebody needs to know that God is still worthy of trust. When I talk about the depression, young people have come up to me and they pulled their sleeves up and a young girl had cuts all the way down her arms and her legs on both sides. And she said, I never knew that this stuff happened to somebody that was in the church. She hid it from her parents, from her youth pastors, from everybody. And she said, I needed to know that God still has a plan. Somebody, I don't know what your question is here today. I don't know what your life circumstances are like. I don't know it. But I can tell you this. If you're wondering if God has everything in control, I can promise you, your God has everything in the palm of his hands and he has a purpose for you in this present day people wonder does God actually care yes he cares I don't care if you're from an abuse situation from a broken home you have isolation and anxiety and depression and fear and when y'all are singing about this in worship again my eyes are just filling with tears because it's like God saying these people need me the same way that you needed me let them know that it's worthy I am worthy of their trust I can't explain why things happen why they happen in the past, why they happen in the present, or why they're going to happen in the future. I cannot explain all of that. But I can promise you that your God cares. I can promise you that in a moment, it's a phrase I use often, probably way too much, but in the moment that you need him, he will wrap you up in his loving arms, and you will feel his presence. But somebody, somebody, I'm telling you today, you need to know that he's worthy of your trust. If every eye in this house will close with me for a moment, the musicians will get ready to help me in closing. Father, you know every heart. You hear every thought. You see inside the walls of every home that is represented in this house today. You know the fear that tries to take root. You know the words that have been spoken against them. You know the things that they've had to go through. The turmoil, the crises, the financial issues, the worry, the doubt, the fears that comes in and tries to take hold of our lives. God, you know exactly what they are going through. But Father, if you could deliver my family, you can deliver every individual in this house today. Somebody here has doubted yourself your entire life. You feel like your life has almost no value compared to the people on your right and your left right now. Some of you are young, but there are some that are still doubting. Deep into adulthood, and you're wondering, God, what use is there for me to trust you when I don't matter? But I can promise you that you matter. You matter for his kingdom. You matter for this church. And you matter for the people that love you. As a family that does not have it all together, people might think that you do, but there's turmoil at home. And sometimes even staying together is difficult. 
But I can promise you that God can make all things new. I want you to keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. Nobody looking around, please. I don't want eyes on any other person here. I'm just going to ask you, if you've dealt with their anxiety, fear, depression on a chronic level, again, everybody keep your eyes closed. Just raise your hand to the heavens right now. Hands all over this house. Thank you. You can put it down. If you've dealt, and I don't want to get so specific so that you're afraid to raise your hand, but if you've dealt with any sort of issues at home, whether it be financial, whether it be marriage, whether it be stress, anxiety, whether it be something in the family that's caused some sort of worry and you don't know exactly how to get through it all, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. You can put those down. I want you to open your eyes and I want you to look at me. The vast majority of this church, by far, was represented in just those two moments. It is not the will of God for you to live in fear. It is not the will of God for you to deal with this stuff alone. I'll make two appeals today. The second of them, you can probably predict it. We're going to come and pray together. But the first appeal that I have to say before we do that. If my parents had a clue as to what I was going through, young people, they would have helped immediately. And it took years for it to reveal itself to them. They want desperately to help you. If you say, well, I don't know if my situation is the same. There is somebody to your right and to your left that can be a help for you. And for the other thing, I want us all stand up together. And look, as a church body, as a family together, I want you, if you would, just make yourself or make your way up to the front as quickly as possible. Look, I know, this, I know this subject is heavy. I know that. I'm sorry I'm not always super rah-rah. But if one person can wake up tomorrow and feel the same enemy pushing back against them, I want you to hear this today. You have the ability to fight back because you have the power of the Holy Ghost within you. You have the name of Jesus Christ that you can call on. I'm, people say, well, should, should you go to counseling? I went to it, and it helped. I did it, but I wouldn't do it without God. People say, well, should I do this or that? Do whatever you do, but do it with God. And let him walk with you every single step of the way. And healing can begin to flow. What's your worry? Just give it to God. Raise your hands here today all across this house. If you raised your hand earlier, you should be among the first to raise them to heaven as high as you can right now. Father, where the enemy would speak death and fear and worry, I speak life and power, a sound mind. People that are going to live in constant victory with the power of heaven on their side. 
God, for every individual that wonders, am I walking alone? Let them know right now they're not alone, not for one moment. But there's a Savior that died for them, that bled for them, that rose for them, and lives again today to fill them with the same power that raised you out of the grave. Somebody give it to God right now, and I want you to speak to him directly and tell him what you need his help with. I promise you he cares. Raise your voice to him. You don't have to say it so loud that everybody around you hears exactly what your struggle is, but you better let God know right now. Jesus, talk to us. Jesus, let somebody feel your presence right now. We want to trust you like you deserve, God. Somebody trust in him. I know it's tough, but trust in him.